following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Oh, our worship team is rocking this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Man, it is good to be a part of Community Gospel. I remember they were putting up those road closed signs, and I just looked out my window and I said, Not today, Satan. It's not going to happen. I said, the people are still going to come. They're still going to populate the pews. So I don't know what you have planned, but God's plans will prosper more than yours. Amen? All right, I'm excited to preach today. So would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? We're in the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' famous sermons, probably the most famous sermon from Jesus. Uh, And uh, as I got in the car last week, I looked at my beautiful wife. I said, what did you think? She's not allowed to say anything negative until Monday. And she looked at me and she says, you did not explain what the Beatitudes mean. So what did you mean? I said, I got the first three. We did great, right? High five. And she's like, no, like what does Beatitude mean? And I said, oh, I missed that. I'm sorry. I didn't didn't do a good job. So I will explain that today. Beatitude is interesting. It's a Latin word. um, And it's actually... uh, it means the condition of blessedness. Uh, Bethany, you had a different uh, supreme blessedness. So I listen to her more than I listen to me because there's two voices in my house. There's the Holy Spirit and the Bethany Spirit. And they sound crazy similar. All right? <clears throat> but... Uh, Condition of blessedness. And in the Latin Vulgate, you probably don't know what that is, but that's uh, the 4th century. They translated the Bible uh, into Latin, and they use this word beatus, which is the word for happy or fortunate, as a heading or a title. So beatitudes isn't necessarily in the text. It's not part of Scripture, but it's a heading of Scripture that comes from the 4th century. And so now, kind of you know, because it starts Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, which says, blessed is the person who does these things. And as we learned last week, blessed is the person who does what God wants him to do, who walks in his ways according to his word. So what we see here is these beatitudes have three parts. Number one, they have an attitude, or they have, excuse me, an adjective, and that is blessed. So they all start out with blessed. Then it goes into the second part, which is an identification of that blessed person using some descriptive language. Okay? And then the third piece is an assurance that comes when you are that specific thing. So to recap last week, we realized that it says blessed, there's the first part, are the poor, the second part, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the outcome of what happens there. Now, the Beatitudes are interesting because these are attributes of believers. If you've called yourself a believer, in other words, you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that his blood that was shed on the cross is for your sins, then these are attributes that should define you. And so there is a tendency when you sit in church and you listen to the word to nudge your neighbor. There's a tendency to look at your spouse and say, hey man, I wish you would do that, right? There's a tendency to think as you read scripture, I'm gonna tell my neighbor those specific things when I get home from church today because they skipped and I didn't. 
That is not what God wants you to do. God looks at you and he says, these are not attributes of me, these are attributes of you. If you call yourself a believer, you should be striving for these things. It's like a mirror, if you will, okay? And so what we realize also is the Beatitudes are not for a single group. They're not for specific groups of people that are gathering. They are for all believers. Jesus comes, he preaches, 12 disciples sitting in front of him. That is the message for those 12 disciples just as it is for the people who are past the 12 disciples that it is for those who would call themselves followers of the way, the truth, and the life. So these are the attributes of what the world should see in our everyday lives because God is looking at our heart. It's not an appearance issue. When Jesus starts to preach and proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into excellent light, it is for us as future citizens of God's kingdom. We need to act this way so that the world can turn from their sin, come to a relationship with Christ, and grow in that relationship. I'm ready to preach today, man. Here we go, all right? So let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his words about him, not me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth in the text. And you and I have wrestled with this all week long. Matter of fact, we've been wrestling with it for a while. And I know it's so hard to look at your word because I want to have you conform to what I say instead of the opposite. And so God, as we approach your word today, we ask that you would soften our hearts, help us not look to the person to our right or to our left, but look at ourselves, see where we're falling short, And then look to you, our Savior, for help. And realize that we can't do anything on our own strength. But we have the ability to become like you because of what you've done for us on the cross. So conform us to your word this morning. Help us not be puffed up with knowledge. Don't let us think too highly of ourselves. But then at the same time, don't let us think too lowly of ourselves either. May we live in the delicate balance of knowing who we once were and who we are now. That we have the opportunity to serve you because that's our ultimate goal. Love you, our Lord and Savior, who died on the cross for our sins. Also, in turn, as we'll see here in the text, love our neighbor. Love them in a way that we can meet their needs and they, too, would have the opportunity to become children. It's so important that we live this truth out, God. The world is watching us. We need to have identification being kingdom residents, not earth dwellers. I pray that you be clear today and speak through me in ways that only you can do. This truth would be something that changes. Your name, amen, amen. Amen means I agree, agree, yeah. Maybe you don't agree. Uh-oh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Here we go. Let's just start at the beginning. We'll go 5 verse 1 and we'll get kind of rolling. Seeing the crowds that were gathered there, that came from Matthew chapter uh, 4 verse 23. We realize why people followed Jesus. Matthew's written um, essentially not in chronological order but more on events about Jesus. So some of the things when you read this uh, don't make sense timeline wise. Matthew was a Levi and a Jew, and he writes to other Jews so that they could see Jesus as the Messiah. And these crowds come, verse 1 says, and he goes up to the mountain to his own personal PA system that he created. Love that. 
sat down, and his disciples, 12 in the front of him, came to him, and then also other disciples are listening just as we are today. Continues. And he opened his mouth, and he teaches them, because God loves us enough to teach us not to stay the same way that we are. And he teaches them this. You should be poor in spirit. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. Spiritual depravity at the end of yourself, because then you will inherit the kingdom of God or eternal life, which Jesus has done for us on the cross. Number four, blessed are those who mourn, have a lament over their sins, so they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, those people who have powerful personalities under control, like wild horses that have been pulled in so that they can know their position. For they inherit the earth, that's Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And then he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Underline in your text, hunger and thirst, because it's so interesting in that passage of scripture as a symbol of people's basic needs. If you were gathered in Jesus' time, when he is starting to preach, you would have been hungry and thirsty because you had no idea where your next meal was coming from. You and I cannot resonate with this passage of Scripture. We cannot understand this in our current time period. You want to know why? Because you know where you're going for lunch today. Either you're going to go uptown and you're going to choose not to go to Bremen because that road's closed anyway, right? Or you're going to be like, I'm going to go home. Some of you are uber spiritual, you'd be like, I'm fasting, right? And I would say amen to that. Regardless, we know where our next meal is coming from. You know where dinner is going to come from. You know where tomorrow's breakfast is going to come from. You know where lunch tomorrow and all this week is going to come from. These people had no idea. And what Jesus is saying here is, he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst. That's a good thing because it's an indicator that you need your basic needs met, but also it's an indicator that you need your spiritual needs needs met. We don't think about this a whole lot, but every time we are hungry and thirsty, it is an indicator that we need God's righteousness in our lives. I think that's why we eat. That's why God has given us the ability to crave food, because it helps us understand that we also need to crave Him. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst and understand that they have needs that only I can meet. This is why Jesus fed people, right? Little boy shows up with his lunch, and he's like, here, we're going to multiply this, because he's constantly showing people, I can feed you physically, but I can also spiritually. Every time we are physically hungry and thirsty, we should use this as an indicator for our spiritual hunger, right? In the Bible, in Matthew chapter 6, later on in the text, it will say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and it will be given unto you. God loves to feed his children. He loves to nourish them with things that are going to essentially make them healthy. But he cannot do that if you continue to let your Bible sit on the shelf, right? There's sometimes where we think to ourselves, man, I wish God would just enrich my life and give me wisdom and guidance. And you say, if you'd open up that word, maybe we would get somewhere, right? It's kind of like your kids who are sitting there at the dinner table and you put greens in front of them and you're like, this is going to be good for you. And they're like, I don't think that's true. But you know better than your children, don't you? And you say, well, you have five bites before you can get up off this table. Maybe that's just my house. I don't know how it works. But the question on the table is, have you gotten to a place where you have hungered for God's righteousness the same way that you long to eat? 
thought about this this week as my kids looked at me once and they said, Dad, I'm starving. I don't know what starving is, right? You have no idea what it means to be starving. Then I heard that little voice in the back of my head, God say, my righteousness is what I have to give for you. Those who desire righteousness, what God says here in the text is, you will be satisfied the more obedient that you are. John 13 says, if you know these things, blessed are you who do them. Not just who know them, but who do them. The demons who populate hell know the truths of God. But what differentiates us from the demons of hell is our application to live out God's word in our everyday life. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied. That satisfaction comes when we long for it. Next time you're hungry, think about that. Man, I'm hungry. Am I hungry for physical food as much as I am for spiritual food? It is true, one commentator said, that a famine of hearing God's word is ultimately worse than a famine of bread. Blessed are those, he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 6, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be, you will be satisfied. 7, and blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Circle that word mercy. The word mercy there means one who acts consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. What covenant? He acts according to the covenant. What covenant? Well, that's in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 17. It says this. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers or people, humans, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God in order to make a propitiation or a proper sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so... If Jesus came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, that's Christmas time, right? We're almost there. Did you know that? It's almost Christmas. Got your Christmas shopping done? Man, my wife's almost there. This is fascinating. Um, But Jesus, Emmanuel, is Christmas time, right? And what that shows us is God came to earth as 100% man and 100% God so that he could be tempted by sin, but he knew no sin so that he could offer a propitiation, proper sacrifice for your sins on the cross. And because you have received mercy, you should give mercy as well. Okay, well, here's my question. What's the difference between mercy and grace? What's the difference between having mercy and being graceful? Well, mercy here is God not punishing us for our sins or God delivering us from judgment. Mercy is the withholding of judgment. Grace, on the other hand, is God blessing us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. Here's a gift. You don't deserve this gift, but I'm going to give you this gift. Mercy, withholding of judgment. Grace, the giving of gifts, even though you don't deserve it. It is extending kindness graces to unworthy people. Mercy shows up in our everyday life, doesn't it? Man, you're probably thinking about it right now. You're thinking, oh, I, I know. Yep, got that person in my head, right? Jordan told me not to think about other people during the text. Well, here... We look at other people because Jesus tells us to be merciful to them. Shows up in our friendships, family life, marriage, parenting, work. Oh my goodness. When we step outside of our comfort zone into the lives of the needy, being merciful. It's interesting here, living out the gospel in a world demonstrating self-sacrificial compassion to those who are down and out. That's mercy. 
Ephesians chapter 4 tells us you should be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving, as Christ has forgiven you. You should forgive somebody because Christ has forgiven you. Mercy, in short, is active kindness that leads to destitute and to any who are in trouble. It answers the question, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone who has a need in which I am able to meet. Anyone who has a need in which I am able to meet, I am called to be merciful. Now, I searched the Bible high and low. Man, I thought about it. I said, okay, God, how many times do I have to be merciful? One, two, like, how much do I have to give to these people? You know what? No answer. You want to know why? Because God looks at me all the time, and he says, I'm merciful to you every single day, and you got to be merciful to others every single day. I don't like to deliver that message. That's no fun, but it's the truth. It's God's word and what it says. Your neighbor is anyone who has a need in which you are able to meet. And in meeting that need, you are showing the mercy from God. Now, you can't reach them all, can you? There's so many people that God calls us and commands us to be merciful towards. But you can do for one what you can't do for somebody else. You can always do for one what you can't do for somebody else. Or for everyone, excuse me. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because they shall receive mercy. If you want to know the mercy of God, I dare you to give it. Number eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is an interesting passage of scripture right here. Underline that word pure, and then above it, if you write in your Bibles, which you totally can, just as much as you can play dice in church, you totally can underline your Bibles. Okay? Pure in heart. And the people who are listening to this online, we talked about that in the announcements, another reason for you to be here, but whatever. That's regardless of the point. Pure in heart is in reference to individuals who give no foothold to sin in their life. Now, that's kind of a churchy word. And I grew up, and um, my Sunday school teachers would always look at me. Kathy Willis, I remember her. She would look at me, and she'd say, Jordan, you're letting the devil have footholds in your life. And I'd say, Kathy, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, but it makes sense, right? And so she, she knew that I didn't understand. But what essentially she's saying is you're letting sin win too much. The pure in heart are individuals who give no sin a foothold in their life. Since God is holy and he cannot occupy the same space, okay, as evil, we have to fully give our hearts over to God in complete obedience. So if you are here, I would ask, okay, because a lot of us who are gathered here would say, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of the way, the truth, and the life. I would say, are you? Have you fully given over your heart to Jesus Christ in faith? In other words, does God have access to areas of your life, all areas of your life, not just some? Because that word is so interesting, pure. Pure means clean, free from dirt, without blemish. You remember the old Clorox commercials? Remember those? Anybody TGIF, right? Remember the commercials used to come on? And there was a white shirt on this side and a white shirt on this side. And they'd be like, here's your regular bleach. And it would, you know, it was a dirty shirt. And all of a sudden it was kind of spotty. And then here's Clorox bleach, you know. And I don't know why the guy had a deep voice like that, but he did. Um, So, and it was totally white right? That's what the word pure in this text means. It means to be unmixed, like a pure metal without alloy in it. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, which is the same way to say, follow this, blessed are those who don't have divided hearts. Blessed are you who do not serve two masters. Blessed is the man or woman who only has eyes just as you only have eyes for your spouse, 
so it is that we should only have eyes for the Lord. Be pure. In regards to money, Matthew speaks on this in chapter 6, but it still fits. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will end up loving one and hating the other one. You will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other one. If you want to be pure in heart, the way that Jesus talks about this, that means you give him your undivided attention and effort in all that you do. It is not where we get to pick and choose what scripture says. Now that heart is interesting because people in the New Testament time, uh, they believe that the heart was the center of a person. Like this is the real you, right? So what they would say is this is uh, who you really truly are, your integrity, if you will. In other words, it's another way to say um, who you are in the dark needs to be who you are in the day and vice versa, right? And I would just ask you that question, just to think about it out loud. Who you are at home is it the same way as who you are at work? Who you are with your kids, right? Is it the same way you are with other kids? You know what I'm saying about that, right? You know, it's like you have, and this just happens at my house all the time. For some reason, my kids go around the block. They bring all the kids from the neighborhood over to our house. Works this way, just works this way. And all of a sudden, what I realize is I went from two kids to 12, and I'm kind of questioning how God got there, right? And he says, be blessed. <laughs> um, and what I realize is uh, sometimes I'll be nicer to other people's kids more than I am my own. You ever have that happen to your life, right? Like, so for example, I'll look at like other people's kids who are totally disobedient. And I'll be like, oh, that's so cute. And then my kids will do it. And I'll be like, why did you do that? What's wrong with you? Right? I'm like, oh, you're, you're good. It's fine. What? It's so backwards. But we do it all the time, don't we? And what he's saying here in the text is, he's saying, listen, you should be exactly the same way all the time, right? It's like when you go to work, <laughs> no, scratch that. It's like when you came to church this morning, oh, here, now we're getting there, right? And you realize there was construction, and you look at your spouse, and you blame them for that, and it's not their fault at all, but you do it. And you're like, why is there construction? What did you do? Is this your fault, right? Did you do that? And you get into the parking lot, and all of a sudden, the ushers open up the door, and you've got that scowl on your face, and you look at them, and you're like, they're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, we're good. <laughs> got my offering ready, ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. Praise Jesus, 100% all the way. Those doors closed, you go back out in the parking lot, like, seriously, still closed, huh? <laughs> Maybe that hits a little too close to home. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 5. For you who are the children of the light, you don't belong in the darkness. For you who are children of light, you don't, men, belong on your computer looking at things that you shouldn't look at. For you, children of the light, all of us, you don't belong in a place where you're talking about other people. When other people are gossiping like you would not believe. For you, pure in heart, you don't belong in places of darkness where God has called you to be light. This is Jesus' issue with the Pharisees, isn't it? Man, he is so against the Pharisees because what they would do is they would go appear to be so spiritual, and then all of a sudden they would punish the people. Don't do that. I talked to a guy the other day. My dad is notorious for this. He used to come up to people, and he's like, hey, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, well, your life says something different, so can you not tell people that? And I'd be like, dad, this is my school. Those are my friends, right? Man, it's true, though. 
I'll never forget that. The outcome of those who are pure in heart is not just an act of obedient worship. Jesus says it is on the internal self. And he says, if you are that way, you will see God. Hold on a second. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 22, it says, no one can see God and live. How is that possible? Jesus is speaking two ways. He's speaking figuratively, and he's speaking literally. Figuratively, he says, the more that you obey God, the more you see him in your everyday life. The more that you obey God, the more you see him present in your life. You will watch him work in ways you never could have ever even fathomed or imagined. To see with the mind, to be able to perceive and discern. It's kind of like the wind, right? If you were to go outside and it's windy, um, you could feel it, right? Because you know that it exists. You can't see it, but you know it exists. But let's say in the summertime when it's kind of blowing or whatever, you decide to put on a snowsuit. And you put all this stuff over your face and gloves and mittens and all that other stuff and you walk out and you're like, the wind is blowing but I can't feel it. It's because you've put this barrier around yourself where you can't feel the wind. And so it is with us as believers. When we put on the world, right, the more we put on the world, the less we see the works of God. So he's speaking figuratively. The more that you uh, are obedient, the more you see God. And sometimes we can't see God because we fail to be fully devoted to God. But he's also talking literally, because if you go back into the previous Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who are meek, because uh, they will inherit the earth, right? Did I get that right? I think I got that right. Blessed are those who inherit the earth. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We actually physically populate the new heaven and the new earth, which is where we see God physically face to face. So blessed are you who are pure in heart, you will see God you do not see God in your life, maybe it's because you're not fully devoted. Number nine. Verse nine. <clears throat> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. This is an interesting passage of scripture. I got two more, okay? Jesus is the prince of peace. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, it says, Jesus is the prince of peace. And he gave ultimate sacrifice to bring peace between God and man. That's Ephesians chapter two. And so he calls us to be peacemakers. It is not just reserved for law enforcement, okay? Everybody's in that boat. For some reason, it became popular, and everybody's like, oh, well, I'm not a cop, so I don't have to worry about this. That's not how it works, all right? Whether you work for a county or a town. Officers got that. They think it's funny. Anyway, <clears throat> what it says here is peacemakers, two things. Please write this down. Number one, peacemakers actively pursue healing broken relationships. This is the hardest thing for me to preach to our congregation today. Peacemakers are those who actively pursue restoring broken relationships. I don't care who did what. The peacemaker will restore broken relationships. And number two, a peacemaker will not cause divisions among people. Spurgeon said, peacemakers are those who always end a quarrel, who lay themselves out to prevent discord. Hebrews says, peacemakers strive to have peace with everyone. James tells us, it are those who make peace that have the ability to obtain a harvest of righteousness. Galatians chapter 5 says that if you are a peacemaker, you have the fruit of the Spirit. And he says this, if you are a peacemaker, you will be children of God. The actual word is sons, or anyone who shares the same nature as their father. 
for believers, the outcome of peacemaking begins with salvation, being adopted into the family of God, and then exhibiting what it looks like to be children of God. And I think some people don't come to a relationship with Jesus because believers are so adamant about keeping relationships unrestored and causing divisions among them. It is amazing here that Jesus essentially says, if you want to be called my children, you will restore broken relationships. Now, some of you have tried, right? You're like, Pastor Jordan, I, I have tried to restore that relationship. And for you, it's a frozen situation where you just let it go, okay? And you just, you just stop and you just say, I, I did everything that I possibly could do to restore this relationship. And maybe sometimes that relationship is unrestored because that person is living in fear. Now again, we're not looking to the left or to the right, okay? We're looking at self. And if I would be honest with myself, I have always done something in a situation that deserves for that person to hear my forgiveness. Always. I can always see the wrong in what I've done. Man, I spoke too loud. I spoke too fast. I spoke too soon. Said the wrong thing. Spoke it in a way that I shouldn't have spoke it, right? There's so many areas where I'll go home and I'll think to myself, oh, I didn't say that right. Something just came out in ways that I didn't want it to come out. And some of you look at it and you go, I've done everything. Okay, then let it go, all right? But here's the deal. If that person keeps popping up in your life and populating the same spaces and there's still tension, then God's looking at you and he's saying, hey, I want you to grow. Because you could still kill them with kindness. And a lot of times, when we look at this passage of scripture, we think about uh, those of us who are married, right? And we use absolutes and we look at it and we say, well, he never or she never, or whatever the case is. And Jesus says, I don't love you like that, so why do you love other people like that? Especially your spouse. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I want you to actively pursue broken relationships, but I also want you not to cause divisions among people so that people can see me in your life. Everybody ever looked at you and said, man, you're just like your dad, right? That's the craziest thing in the world when somebody says that. You're just like your dad. And I look at it and I go, well, he's not my real dad, so uh, how about that? Then some people look at me and I love you, mom. Um, some people look at me and say, you're just like your mother. I go, oh boy, Right? Bethany's over there going, yep, absolutely, sounds good. And some of those traits are good, and some of those traits we have to work on. But has anybody ever come up to you and looked at you and said, you're just like Jesus? I cannot think of one time where somebody came up to me and said, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers who actively pursue broken relationship restoration who don't cause divisions among people. So here's the questions on the table. Think about this. If you want to write these down, I would. What broken relationship exists in your life that needs to be fixed? It's not your spouse's fault that construction is going on outside of our church. You apologize to them for that after you leave this place, okay? Or right now if you want to, because then they can't say anything back. <clears throat> and number two, are you causing divisions among people? Does that need to stop? Are you causing divisions among people? If making peace is our aim as believers, as God made peace with, uh, with us, then we strive to do it with his help. And peace is hard, but it is always worth it. Paul will write in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or 13, excuse me, he'll say, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace with one another. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 
There is nothing better in this world than striving to make peace with somebody because God makes peace with us. Verse 10. If you do all these things, right? Now, I'd like to think that there's like four people left. <laughs> Can you imagine like just the 12 are hanging out? Like, we're still here, Jesus, I think. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Man, Jesus is so comforting sometimes, right? He just gives us all the things that we need to make us feel warm and fuzzy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So essentially what he says in verse 10, if you do all these things, people are going to persecute you. Well, that's comforting. Sign me up. <laughs> he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said that already in verse 3. So he's speaking of spiritual depravity here, and he's saying, if you do all these things when people persecute you, you know what, it's for righteousness' sake, and you're still going to inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, if you are in this spot and in this place, you should rejoice and be glad. What? You should be happy, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who would be for you. When the Beatitudes are lived out here in the text, it will lead to righteous behavior that leads to righteous fruit. People want what you have. You live a life that honors and glorifies. Persecuted means to follow or press hard after. It's like a dog that chases somebody down, right? We used to have this big, huge Old English bulldog. His name was Tozer. We named him after A.W. Tozer. He died. And we loved him, like, so we built this shrine in our basement for him, you know. And we're still waiting for our new puppy to live up to his standards. And Tozer, we used to put him outside. He was huge. He was a teddy bear, right? Most of us have dogs like this. So they're teddy bears, but people think they're mean and they bite, right? And Bethany loved it because we used to live in the country, and he would be out there, and people would pull up, and then they would go slower, and they'd go a little slower, and then they'd roll down their window, like, cracked it, and they'd be like, he bite? And we're like, yeah, Absolutely totally bites and then they pull around and we're like that's how you solve problems with church people who are problems right <clears throat> get it but what we would do is we would let him off the leash and he would run and man he was so fast when he was a little puppy and people would get out of their cars and he would run and they'd be so petrified and scared and so they would run and we would watch him run around matter of fact teenagers because we used to do music ministry they thought it was funny one time to uh, come and to um i think they toilet papered our house that one night so what we did is we just let the dog go. And it was like 10 o'clock at night, and you see these little bodies just running around the house, and then this little white dog just, woo! That's persecuted. That's exactly what he's talking about there. It's like a dog who chases someone down. It's like somebody who oppresses or harasses. And that's what happens when you live a life that honors and glorifies the Lord. It's a spiritual battle that we fight every single day. People will look at you and they will wonder, how do I get what you have? And since they can't get what you have because they're trying to do it on worldly effort, they will persecute you. They will chase you down. They will push you. They will harass you. They will look at you and they will say things to you that you never thought you would ever hear them say. But God says, I will give you full armor in Ephesians 6. He does not leave you unequipped. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God chapter 6 of verse in Ephesians. He says, remain steadfast. Listen to what some other biblical writers said. James chapter 1 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast 
under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. First Peter says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're going to be blessed. Have no fear of those people or be troubled. In Revelation chapter 2, I love this passage. It says, you'll be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. I read these Beatitudes and I thought to myself, Jesus, how long do I have to do these things? You know what he says? Forever. real always always you continually are striving to become like this you're constantly in a state where you are being faithful and obedient to jesus christ until death and if you do these things guess what you should be glad the word there is rejoice or exalt or leap for joy man can you imagine you're at your place of work tomorrow right and all of a sudden you're you're, you're living your life for the lord and you're doing these things and somebody looks at you and says something and you go yippee Right? Like, what are you so happy about? Ha ha! You persecuted me for righteousness' sake, so it's all good. Here's what happens when you do that. Jesus looks at your crown that you're going to give him anyway, and he takes one of those little crowns off, and he's like, we'll work on that. We'll give it to you later, right? The martyrs in uh, all throughout church history, they came to the stake as they were punished. They leapt for joy. They danced before execution. Some of them said, I'm almost home. You should think about that when people persecute you for righteousness' sake. Say it in the back of your mind, I'm almost home. When you get that cancer that you didn't think you were going to get, and that person looks at you and punishes you, and you don't get that promotion, you say, I'm almost home. When friends fall out and you think to yourself, man, I thought they were a good friend. I thought that that was the person that God put in my life, and they're not there anymore. You say, I'm almost home. This life is but a mist. It goes by so fast. I'm almost home. It does not matter what the world throws at you when the word is your foundation in truth. When was the last time that you were persecuted because of Jesus? Man, I started thinking about these questions. I think sometimes you think that I get up here and I speak to you guys and I don't live it out. And, and sometimes it's tough to live some of these things out. But I was sitting here weeping uh, the other day over these questions. When is the last time that somebody persecuted us for Jesus' sake? And I'll tell you, when they put that construction stuff over here. And I don't have the heart to go out and tell these construction guys that they're from the devil. What have you done in the last month? What have I done in the last month that caused somebody to challenge my faith? Have you ever thought about that? When have we risked speaking out in favor of righteousness, saying that's not right? That's not what God's word says. When is the last time that we have defended the cause of Christ to have the purity of the gospel? I don't know. Maybe for you it's like every day, and kudos to you, man. Keep going. For me, it's Somebody said once, if life changes from the outside in, life ends. But if life changes from the inside out, life begins. Jesus says right at the very beginning, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's where life begins, when I am at the end of myself, and I say, Jesus, you've got to have all of it. I have no way to close this sermon, because I think you have to close it with Jesus. I think you've got to seek and explore and I think you just need to really contemplate where you're at. Take inventory of all these things that Jesus says. And say, man, here's where I'm doing a great job. Here's where I'm not doing a great job. And you need to pour that over to the Lord. Now, uh, I told Becky that she could come up and do next steps. What I'm going to do, is that okay? We have prayer partners scattered all throughout the church. They have yellow lanyards on. Okay, We're going to give you time, just a few short moments, uh, 
to just be with the Lord and kind of reread these Beatitudes in chapter 5. If you're at a place where you're thinking to yourself, I just want to spend time with God, I just want to pray about these things, I just want to pour out my heart to Him, great, you stay in your pew, okay? But if you're like, man, I just need somebody to pray for me, right? I I just would love if somebody would just come up to me and, and just pray for me. And if you could look at them and say, man, I am, I, I am horrible at showing mercy. If they could put their hand on your shoulder, or if you don't like being touched, they won't touch you. And you could just say, could you just pray for me to be merciful to this person? Or maybe for you, you know, you look at uh, blessed are the peacemakers, and you're like, man, I'm constantly causing division in my life. Just pray that I, I quit that. They would love don't leave this place unless you do business with God. That's why we're here. Let this word conform you more to the image of Christ. Becky's going to come up. The worship team's going to come up. Take a moment. Let's just pray together. And then if you feel so led, our prayer partners are there for you. They would love to pray for you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We love you because you first loved us. And so we have to look at this text and we have to really do inventory on where we're at. Are we spiritually uh, poor, as verse 3 says? Are we lamenting for our sin? The things that we have done that have been disobedient to you. Those two things alone lead us to the fact that we need a Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't do these things. And the answer to that question is, no, you can't unless you have a relationship with Jesus. We have a relationship with Christ through faith. We confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. The Bible tells us we'll be saved. You no longer have to do this life alone. Maybe for you, the first step is just saying, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Come, do a great work in my life. Tired of living. Maybe you're in this spot to where you have a powerful personality, but it's not under control. You need to pray to the Lord and just say, God, would you put the reins on? Maybe you're not hungry and thirsty for the word. So for you, the prayer is just, God, give me a desire for your Maybe you're not showing mercy. Maybe purity is a big issue in your life right now. You have divided interests. You serve two masters. You got one foot in God's word, kind of, and one foot in the world, and you can't live that way. You can't, you can't keep doing that. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's somebody in your life who just continually berates you because you know Jesus and makes fun of you. Maybe there's somebody who you have in your life that just drives you crazy. Jesus is just constantly showing you to love them. You just feel persecuted by them. Maybe the prayer is that you would love them the way that Jesus loved them. You remember Stephen in the Bible. They're going to stone him because he loves the Lord. He gives this awesome summary of the Old Testament. And he says very similarly what Jesus said when he was on the cross. He says, Father, do not hold these sins against these people. The old song says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
That's what you can do here in this place. You can plead to the Lord. He hears your voice. He loves it when his children pray. Because he loves to hear things from your perspective. As you seek the Lord, may you understand that you are in good company. Jesus tells us the prophets of the Old Testament were like this. The disciples in the New Testament, those who were persecuted in 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries were like this. You are in good company. You are not alone in the fight. So whether you want to do business with God in your pew, that's fine. But if you want to stand up and you're like, man, I need to find somebody with a yellow lantern on because I need somebody to pray for me. And God, may you, the God of peace, who passes all understanding, work in our hearts. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.